I'm excited to continue on in 2 Thessalonians, going verse by verse through this short letter. So whether you're here in the room or whether you may be out in the commons area, whether you're joining us online, or if you are watching from the Sheboygan County Jail, we want to welcome you and just say we're grateful and encouraged that you are going to be growing and learning Scripture together and not just learning it so we can all walk away feeling a little bit smarter but so our hearts can be transformed, so we can be changed, so we can actually take the Word and be doers of the Word, not just hearers. Amen? So the main idea of the second chapter of Second Thessalonians is to bring encouragement to the church. And the main idea, the main point, which is what we need to focus on and what we're going to focus on today, is that we need to be ready, that we need to be faithful, because Paul does deal with some end-time things here. He talks about some end-times events, and he does that also in 1 Thessalonians uh, in, that, uh, in, the, in that earlier letter. So, uh, you know, Paul never encourages nor challenges Christians to try to go and figure out the dates of the second coming of Christ or who the Antichrist is going to be. But so many people, that's what they get stuck on. That's what they get set on. And that's what they want to do. They want to just figure out who's going to be the Antichrist. Who, when is Jesus coming back? And they search dates and try to find hidden meanings. And, and, and let me tell you, there are tons of books and sermons that have been preached and books that have been written about end-time apocalyptic events. And guess what? None of them agree with each other. Uh, so we can ascertain from that that if none of these people who are studying this and teaching this agree with the exact dates, the exact times, who's it's gonna, who is it going to be, all those things like that, then we need to understand that that's not the purpose of it because all firmly taught eschatological end-time predicted systems at some level are wrong, including my own, because we don't know the day, we don't know the time, we don't know the who, and we don't know all of the what. We don't even understand all of the symbolism of it. So that must mean that if I don't understand all of those things, that that must not be the point, because the main point that Paul is driving home here isn't figure these things out, it's when these things begin to happen and you begin to see these things, be ready, be watchful, be faithful, stay true to what you know is right. So don't get afraid, don't, don't let fear take hold, but rather be ready and be faithful. So with that in mind, why don't we go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and let's just start off with the first couple of verses, and then let's talk about those for a moment. 2 Thessalonians um, chapter 2, verse 1 says, Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to Him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. So obviously Paul's even saying, hey, there's people saying that in my name that I'm saying this is going to happen at this time or this is, these are the end times or, or that uh, so-and-so has, you've already missed it because Christ has already returned or whatever the case may be. And these people were just freaking out, wondering had they indeed missed the second coming of the Lord. They thought, oh no, have we missed this, this great event that we were so hopeful for. And Paul's saying, listen, if a spirit comes, if someone says it's from Paul and, 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 and they use my name to try to gain credibility, don't believe them. Don't get alarmed. Don't freak out. We're telling you, don't be shaken in mind. Don't be deceived. Don't, because there's going to be some things that are going to have to happen first. In other words, Paul was saying, you think it's bad now. It's going to get a whole lot worse before the return of the Lord. 
And he said, so keep enduring, keep persevering, stay faithful, stay true to what you know is right. So hold tightly to what is true. Uh, you know, I did not say hold tightly to your ideas or what you think is true or what others may tell you is true, but rather hold tightly to what is true. What is true? What is truth? Truth comes from Scripture. And it is the foundation of the Word of God that when people began to say, uh, make this claim or that claim, that we can always go back to the foundation of Scripture and we can test those things against the, the, the authority of Scripture in order for us to find what genuinely is true. A lot of us, ma'am, and, and, and I, can, I can raise my hand in this, that a lot of us have our own ideas about what we want to be true or things that maybe we've even been taught or ideas that we have. And I don't know if your ideas about Christ's return come from Hollywood. I don't know if they come from uh, something you were taught that this is the way it's going to happen or some teacher that you follow that you've enjoyed listening to their interpretation of this or that. But the main idea of any of these types of teachings is so that we can be watchful, we can be hopeful, we can know that even though we may be suffering, even though we may be going through challenges, even though we may face tribulation and different uh, issues that may be coming against us, the point is, is that we stay watchful, that we stay ready, and that we're faithful to God because He's faithful to us. Amen? And so hold tightly to what is true. One of our core values at Word of Grace is that we are willing to give up what we believe for truth because Scripture defines truth, not our ideas. Scripture defines truth, not our ideas. So that means we're willing to give up what we believe for the truth because I want to hold tightly to what is true. Let's read a few more verses, starting in verse 3 of chapter 2. Paul says this, Let no one deceive you in any way. For that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Do you not remember when I was still with you and I told you these things? And you know what is restraining him now so that he may be revealed in his time." For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. For he, only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan, with all power and false signs and wonders, and with all, true, with all wicked deception for those who are perishing, because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Man, there's a lot of stuff that's said just in those few verses that we read there. And there are many voices in the world that would try to convince you that they have the truth. 
There are a lot of voices that would say, run over here because this is what you need to be hearing, or this is some new thing that I found, and, and they try to connect these dots, and it causes a lot of times hysteria. It'll cause panic, or it'll call ner cause nervousness. I, I remember as a child, I grew up in church, and I remember as a kid hearing uh, messages that had apocalyptic themes, or that were talking about the return of the Lord and things like that, and man, it, it used to scare me as a child. I, I would be freaked out by some of that stuff, and I used to listen to these um, Bible story tapes when I was a kid, and there were these voices that some of the characters would do, and oh man, ugh, I am like thinking about it right now. It's bothering me because like they would put all these vocal effects on the voice of God, and it would be like, "This is the Lord," and you're just like, "Oh, I don't like that." <laughs> it gives you a hard time thinking of God as as, as your Father, and, and and more of like this uh, this really intimidating, crazy, uh, uh, threatening type being, but yet. Uh, those are the things I remember feeling those feelings of fear. I remember really just questioning and wondering what's this and what's that. And as I've grown up and as I have grown in Scripture and as I've grown in the Word, I, what, what I'm seeing now is that these messages weren't meant to bring fear but rather hope. They were meant to bring hope and, and, and a feeling of anticipation and a feeling of being ready and making sure that you're ready to evaluate and to ask those probing questions. Am I ready? And to ask those in whom we're surrounded by, are you ready? To ask those family members, those friends, those co-workers, are you ready? Are you being faithful? And for us to live in such a way where we're being found faithful when the Lord returns. And that's really the point. And so we need to stay anchored in the point instead of allowing fear to drive our understanding and interpretation of Scripture. There's a lot of different things that a lot of different people teach that all of these kind of kind of vague imagery pieces mean. And honestly, to the people in Thessalonica to which this was originally written, he did say they would understand some of it because he just told them. He said, "You already know about some of these things." So they understood things that you and I are not even privy to because we're not the original recipients of that letter. And we can try to discern what it is that they understood about the letter. But at the same time, the point that we need to stay focused on is to be ready and to be faithful. There are many voices in the world that would try to convince you that they have the truth. And the Antichrist is going to come with miracles to wow people into following him. So here's the principle that we need to glean from this passage is that we don't need to be people who are following signs and wonders, but rather follow truth as it's found in Scripture. Because someone can come and try to dazzle you and try to wow you with things, and you go, oh, wow, this person must be really spiritual, or this person must be really close to God. And we begin to follow them because of the things that they do. As a matter of fact, Jesus, when he was on the earth performing signs and wonders and miracles in front of people, there was a group of people, the Pharisees, the religious people, they wanted to see him do a trick. And they said, hey, Jesus, why don't you uh, perform a sign for us? Why don't you do something? you know, make, you know, rocket shoot from your fingertips or, you know, uh, why don't you do something magical here? Why don't you perform a sign for us? They were, they were challenging him. And instead of Jesus uh, giving in to their request and performing a miracle or a sign in front of them, he let them know. He said, it's a wicked and perverse generation that's asking and demanding for a sign. You see, blessed are those who believe because they've seen, but blessed, more blessed are those who believe and have not seen. That's what this whole faith thing is about, is believing in what I have not seen, but I'm convinced and I know that it is true and it has changed my life from the inside out. 
And that's what I'm supposed to hold tightly to, that truth, that faith that has been stirred in me that is founded on the very Word of God. So don't follow signs and wonders. Don't follow every new popular teaching or teacher that comes along because there's going to be fads that come and go, and we've seen this throughout the years. Just because someone has a bestseller book on the New York Times bestseller list, or just because they have their own television program, or just because they can amass a large following, doesn't mean that what they say is true. We need to exercise discernment and grow as followers of Christ in discernment to be able to compare what anyone says, including myself, against Scripture. And not just follow someone because we like them or because they have a charismatic personality. We also need to take that same type of discernment towards songs that we sing or, or, or music that we listen to. Just because something is necessarily on uh, a Christian station doesn't necessarily make it true. I need to be discerning because there's many voices in the wind. There's many things that would want to lead you into other things and open doors into other things that can be really dangerous. And it's our job to be able to discern as individuals, as Christ followers. It's our responsibility to discern and not be led astray by every voice because there's going to be a lot of things, and we've seen it in our lifetime, a lot of things that claim to be right, a lot of things that claim to be Christian, a lot of people who claim to have the answer or have the solution. People go, oh, I like what this person is saying. Just because it's popular doesn't mean that it's true. We need to remember that because that's the same type of tactic that the Antichrist is going to use to wow people. People are going to be impressed. People are going to be wowed. Uh, people are going to want to go see what this person has to say and what they're doing because they want to watch the, these, these things happen. And that's part of the sign of you're going to know this person's amassing this following and, and, and they're doing so in a way where everyone's going, wow, man, this person is really incredible. This is really amazing. And you begin to look at the person and you're, not, you're keeping your eyes off of God and you begin to look at the person. So make sure that we are not following signs and wonders, but we're following truth as described in Scripture. This is why staying connected in Christ-centered community is so vital. That's why Christ-centered community is essential. Because you and I can get off base, and I need people around me to hold me accountable to be able to say, hey, uh, are you sure? Have you looked at that in Scripture? Or, hey, uh, can you show me where you found that in Scripture? That's one of the greatest compliments that, that, that I think any preacher, any teacher of Scripture could receive, is could you show me where you found that idea in Scripture? Not, hey, good sermon. And I'll tell you why. Because it tells the person who is teaching, I care enough about this. I want to be able to discern and correctly see truth and not just buy into your ideas because I like you. Hey, I love you. I hope you love me. I hope we can get along. I hope you enjoy coming to church at Word of Grace or hearing me teach online or whatever the case may be. But can I tell you that we need to be sharpening one another and helping one another to grow, not just saying, oh, this person has all the right things to say and I'm just going to take everything they say as truth. People are fallible. Ask my wife. We are fallible. We mess up. We don't get it right all the time. We may have our own ideas because I have my lenses. You have your lenses. And your lenses are made up of all of your experiences, made up of the way you were raised, made up of the way that you hear things, the way you receive things, the way you respond to things. And I can't make sure that every person is hearing all of the intentions that, that I want them to hear. So I have to depend on the Holy Spirit to do what I can't do. Because Derek's not that great, but the Holy Spirit's pretty awesome. 
And so I'm going to be depending on the Holy Spirit to make sure that you're receiving truth and that if I say something that's not in line with truth, that it either gets challenged, it gets corrected, or that it just gets forgotten. <laughs> because I want our church to be a body of believers that's growing in pursuing the real God, not God the way we want Him in our image. For us to do that, we have to stay rooted and grounded and founded on the Word of God. Amen? and not chase our ideas. We should never go to the Word of God with our ideas looking for validation. So many times we get this idea, and then I'm, I want to go to the Scripture. Oh, let me back up my idea. No, no, no. Our ideas should come out of Scripture. The way we see God should come out of Scripture. So therefore, it's built on that, not me trying to find something to back up the way I want God to be. Then we begin to cherry-pick Scriptures and, and, and make God into our own image. And we began to make our own scrapbook version of Scripture, and we like to make it the way we want it and the way that it will accomplish and, and fit our agenda. But we need to hold tightly to what is true, and what is true is not my idea. What's true is the Word of God. So I need to be willing to give up what I believe, what I think, my own ideas, for the truth of the Word of God. And, and I can tell you in my life, that has been challenged so many times, and I'm so grateful for the body of Christ. I'm so grateful for brothers and sisters in the Lord who have come alongside me throughout the years and who have helped me see truth, who have been lovingly patient with me, oh my goodness, who have been patient with me to help me to see truth, not just, oh, you're wrong, boom, you're dumb, get out of here, you shouldn't think that way, but people who lovingly come alongside you, who you know care for you and care for your best interests and who are helping you see. I love hanging out with people who are further down the road um, than me in certain areas where they can challenge ideas and thoughts and we respect each other and, and help one another to grow. That's what Christ-centered community should do. There should be that safety and that love in there to where we can grow, where, hey, I may have been thinking this way, but help me to grow because I want to think in line with Scripture. I want my view of God and my expectation of God and, and the way that I'm applying Scripture and understanding and interpreting Scripture in my life, I want it to be based off of the solid foundation of the Word of God and not my idea or my upbringing. Amen? That's hard. That takes vulnerability. That takes community. That takes trust. That takes relationship. But that's how we're going to be able to continue to move forward through suffering, through persecution, through deception through false voices, through wolves in sheep's clothing, through people who want to come and tickle our ears and want to make us just feel good, where we go, where we're challenging one another, where we are helping one another to grow. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, uh, the writer of Hebrews says this, and let us consider how to spur one another on to love and good deeds. Let us not neglect meeting together as some have made a habit but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Man, this sounds like an encouragement to go to church, and the church ain't even that old when that was written. I mean, they're already trying to get people to keep coming to church and gathering together. It says there's already people who have developed a habit of not gathering together. They're already in the habit. In other words, they said, oh, we can handle this on our own. We got this on our own. We don't need to gather with other people. I mean, I, don't know, I know you don't know anybody like that, but... <clears throat> And then I know nobody in here has ever said anything like that. Oh, yeah, I can just do this on my own. Oh, yeah, we can just gather on our own. No, the Scripture says explicitly, this is a bad habit. This is a bad idea to try to isolate and try to make it on your own. And he puts it in the context of considering how to encourage one another to do good works, to actually live out the faithfulness and the fruitfulness of a follower of Christ. 
to spur, to encourage one another, to challenge one another, to sharpen one another, to point one another to good works, and to not neglect gathering together. Some people have done this, but especially as the day is growing darker, as you're beginning to see things ramp up and evil ramping up, man, as you see the day of the Lord approaching, oh, you need to be gathering even more. You need to make it even more of a priority. But busyness makes it less of a priority in our culture. But actually, the busier and and the more wicked and the more self-centered that culture becomes, the church needs to make even more a priority of being together with one another, especially as you see the day of the Lord approaching. You know, when we look for something more or something deeper outside of the gospel, then we are susceptible to other voices. We need to stay encouraged and connected with one another because we have this tendency in and of ourselves to look for something more outside of the gospel. And when we began to drift and look for something more outside of the great mystery of Christ crucified, that a sinner like me can be forgiven and called a son or a daughter of God because Jesus' sacrifice of love, when I'm looking for something more and I become dissatisfied with that and I am longing for something that I will quote-unquote call deeper or something that is, is more, man, I am so susceptible to deception at that point. Because what could be greater than receiving forgiveness of my sin, restoration, reconciliation in right relationship with Almighty God, and despite my inability to fix my sin problem, Jesus Himself fixed it, gave me what I didn't deserve, instead gave me His grace, and now I am received this spirit of adoption from Almighty God, where I call Him my Father, And you're telling me you want something else? You're telling me that there's something more out there? You're telling me there's something deeper? There's something greater? Paul said the great mystery has been revealed. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's what I need to be growing in. That's what I need to be deepening my heart in is in that principle and that truth and that revelation. That's where my joy comes from. That's where my commitment, that's where my readiness, my faithfulness comes from. Not from something more or something deeper, but out of the depth of the love of God that, man, I could keep exploring that subject and still not really get a hold of it because it's too deep. It's too wide. There's no no end to it. And then the more I think about it, man, it should just mess me up. And the fact that we want to be entertained as Christians by something more than the gospel That shows me that we, all of us, have a tendency to drift from valuing what God values. And when we drift from valuing what God values, we become open to other voices. All of a sudden, we begin to be pulled this way because, ooh, this is new. This is shiny. Ooh, I like this. It's like the Tesla truck. Oh, what is this? (laughs) It's shiny. It's different. (laughs) It's somewhat affordable. I mean, it it pulls us to weird stuff when we get our minds off of the Lord, when we get our minds off of the gospel. Because listen, the gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ. It is the good news that you and I could never fix our sin problem in our own strength. We could try, and we have tried. We've tried to offset 
the bad that we've done with the good that we've done and we feel better about ourselves and we deceive ourselves into thinking we're good people. But that doesn't erase the fact that we need a Savior, no matter how good we try to be. And the fact that Jesus has given us this incredible gift freely and He took the punishment that you and I deserved. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might know righteousness, so that we might be in right standing with God. Friend, can I tell you, there is nothing deeper or greater than that. Hold tightly to that truth. If something all of a sudden becomes more attractive than Jesus, if it's Jesus, ooh, plus this, can I tell you that you're probably being drawn into something that is not based on Christ, something that is not glorifying God, something that you're chasing after more than Him? Because it's not like Jesus is holding the door for all of the good things God wants to give you. Jesus is holding the door. He is the door, and He's what's behind the door. There's nothing greater than Jesus. There's no one greater than Jesus. There's nothing else in this life that will satisfy more than Jesus. There is no more spiritual that you can be other than chasing after and pursuing, knowing Jesus more. It's all about Christ and the cross and what he did for you and for me. And I could stay on this soapbox for a long time because I, wanna, I want us to get this in our heart. It's got to get, get deep within us. Because we live in a day and age where we get kind of discontent, familiar, tired, and we go, oh, I've heard that message. Especially around Christmas and Easter, right? I've heard that message. I know that message. That's familiar to me. Even when we go through religious rituals and, and when we go through different sacraments in the church, when it's time to receive communion, oh, I, I, know, I know how to do this. I'm, I'm familiar with this. And we treat things that are supposed to be sacred as if they're common gathering together, assembling together. We treat it as something that is common instead of something that is sacred. Even reading and opening the Holy Word of God, we, we treat it as just, just common when it's sacred. Talking to God, the opportunity that we, we, we miss out on the sacred because we've become so familiar and we're like, I need something new. I don't know, I need like a new Bible or, you know, I mean, I mean we got a new worship pastor. I mean, you know. And, and you, know, you know, then it's going to be a while, or like, can we get something else new? You know, it's, I don't know about you, that's kind of my personality. I get bored. And, and if we're not careful, we'll miss out on the treasure of what we have in Christ. And we'll want something else. And when our heart begins to want something else other than Christ, and we're not satisfied in Christ, because we say things like, nothing satisfies like Jesus. And if we believe that, and if that's true, then if we're looking for satisfaction in something else, even if it's some experience or some teaching or some idea, and we chase after it, man, we're susceptible. All of a sudden, now we're open. We're open to what? Deception. That's exactly the type of stuff that's going to be happening. And this is how Paul is trying to help the Thessalonians get ready. And I believe it's the same thing you and I in our day and age need to be mindful of to be ready as well. Because these are the tendencies of our day and age. These are the tendencies of our culture. And these were the same tendencies that Paul was trying to tell the Thessalonians, listen, even if somebody comes with something new, wow, and shiny, don't, don't deviate. Even if they say, oh, this is in the name of Paul, don't believe them. Don't believe them. Don't let them rubber stamp my name on something and then call it genuine and true. You know, you can, you can wrap up, you know, uh, uh, 
great value soda and Coke paper, but it's still great value soda at the end of the day. Hello, somebody. <laughs> I'm preaching better than y'all are shouting. <laughs> because there's nothing greater than the power of God, and the power of God is revealed in us through the sacrifice of what Christ has done through his death, his burial, his resurrection. And if we live to see the second coming of Christ, we will see things get worse. And this shouldn't make us scared. This should not cause fear in us. Even the things that we see in our day and age and the things that we're aware of in the world that kind of freak us out and make us go, oh man, things are getting really bad. Guess what? Things have been really, really bad in other countries for a really, really long time. We're just now starting to hear about it. Or it's just now starting to impact us. We, we have to get out of this mindset and this idea of just because something's impacting us in America that that means it's finally coming to the rest of the world. Actually, the rest of the world has been dealing with bloodshed and war and famine and all these challenges that you and I are just now beginning to hear about and maybe feel little touches of here and there. And so for us to allow fear to take hold of our heart would be minimizing the power of what Christ has done in his death, burial, and resurrection. Because we shouldn't allow this to grip our hearts with fear. We should go, okay, I just need to be ready. I need to be watchful. We don't need to break out the book of Revelation and start listening to 20 different teachers and reading all these books to figure out what this thing means and if this person gets elected and if this thing happens and if this person happens on the Jewish day of the <laughs> thing that it all goes, you know, and, 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 and that that means that all of a sudden, you know, when you light the menorah that the Antichrist is going to descend and the golden calf. I don't know. And I don't know who the, the big toe and the little fingers and, and all that stuff is of the statue, but what I do know is that I need to be ready. Amen. So don't go chasing after things to try to attach our modern day events to what you see. Because here, here's prophecy, all right? I'll help you with prophecy. This has helped me so much. I don't remember who taught me this, but man, it helped me a ton. Concerning prophecy in Scripture, the way that the original recipients received prophecy is not the way you and I view prophecy at all, an end time stuff. The way we look at it is that we want to figure it out. We want to reverse engineer it. We want to go who, what, when, where. They didn't care. That wasn't the purpose of prophecy. That wasn't what they were chasing after. Their whole idea on prophecy was that when it happens, we'll know it because it was described to us and we understood enough of the imagery that when things showed up, we could go, ah, there it is. That's it. That's why when you see the Holy Spirit fall, and you see uh, the people speak with tongues that day on the day of Pentecost. And everyone's like, are these guys drunk? There's a lot of people speaking in tongues. And Peter gets up. What does he say? He says, these men aren't drunk like you suppose, but rather this is that that was spoken by the prophet Joel. He said, it's here. The thing that was prophesied that you've read about from the prophet Joel that you read for hundreds of years, and you tried to interpret it, and you tried to understand it, you tried to be ready for it. This is it. It showed up. It's here. And so be, be at peace when it comes to the world ramping up and getting worse, because the power of God is greater. Hey, this is really cool. This should not cause us to fear, because the power of God is greater than the power of the enemy. Check this out. This is, this is a cool scripture. You're going to like this. All right. Verse 8, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And then the lawless one will be revealed. Talking about the Antichrist, all right? The big, bad, scary Antichrist, right? <laughs> He, the, the, the lawless one is going to be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his second coming. Jesus is just going to go... <laughs> <laughs> Jesus is going to blow his breath 
and he's going to be all this big, bad, scary mess that we were all worried about. Oh, no, all the scary stuff, all the son of perdition. Oh, no, the, 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 the son of lawlessness. Jesus is going to go, and he will be brought to nothing. This is the God you serve. This is the greater is he that's in you, that lives in you, that's greater than any fear, any adversary, any form of intimidation that the world has to offer. That he can just breathe. You see, God breathes and speaks and universes are created. Jesus breathes and the devil is just dissipated with his efforts. This big thing that we've ramped ourselves up to, to be anxious for and that's caused all this fear. Paul's telling the Thessalonians, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't you know the power of the one that you serve? He's telling them, don't be afraid. Just be ready. Be watchful. Be, be prepared. Be faithful. That's what he's trying to communicate to these people instead of them getting all worried. The doctrine of the second coming of Christ should not cause fear, but it should cause us great hope because Paul's reminding the Thessalonians of what he's already told them, and he's saying it's going to be really bad, but it's going to be really obvious when Jesus is about to return because as things get worse, you should get more hopeful, and you should be ready. You should be prepared. Verse 13, let's uh, finish out reading this chapter. Verse 13 of Second Thessalonians chapter 2. But if we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the firstfruits to be saved through sanctification by the Holy Spirit and belief in the truth. To this he called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. Now may the Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Amen, somebody. Amen. Be ready. Be faithful. Be ready. Be faithful. We need to be people who are loving the truth. He said that those who ultimately reject the truth they're ultimately going to reject that good uh, gift of his free grace and then they're going to ultimately get what they want to live eternally rejecting the grace of god and being removed from his presence but because we've trusted in his power his love his grace that he's greater and we've put our rest and our hope and our assurance in him we can actually be full of joy. We can actually be full of comfort. We can actually have the reason to be able to be anchored, to continue to persevere, to move forward, even in spite of suffering, even in spite of challenges, even in spite of fear. So whatever you may be going through, my hope is that today that through the reading of the word and the preaching of the gospel that hope is kindled in you and that it's stirred in you to where you begin to look at things a little differently. Instead of having an outlook of fear, instead of having an outlook of anxiety, instead of having an outlook of, oh no, I can't control this and can't control that, guess what? Greater is he who's in you. Be surrounded by people who are going to spur you on and remind you of that. Surround yourself in Christ-centered community with people who are going to keep you anchored and keep you sane as days grow darker. Don't be afraid. Things might get better, things might get worse, but eventually before Christ returns, they are going to get worse, and, and I don't have to be afraid of that. I don't have to be scared of that because I know that my God is greater. Amen? Amen? So being ready and being faithful means that we trust and we rest and we live like eternity matters because it does.
That's why one of our core values at Word of Grace is that we say yes to greater things because we're called to live in light of eternity. Every day, every moment is a gift. And we should be ready and be watchful, not just sitting on our hands, not just waiting for Christ's return in a passive manner, but in an active, offensive manner where we're taking the offense, not just sitting on defense, and we're wanting to do damage to the enemy's kingdom. We're wanting to do damage to the enemy's plans by living like eternity matters because it does. Where we're influencing and impacting eternity by living in light of eternity, by prioritizing the things that God says matters, by putting those things first, living with a kingdom agenda, an eternal perspective. That'll help us to say yes to greater things and not get caught up in the ebb and flow of life. So my question to you today is, are you ready? Are you going to be found faithful? The life of a Christ follower should be filled with joy and peace in the middle of trials. When you're surrounded by evil, because we have a hope that does not disappoint. Amen? So Lord, help us to trust in you. Help us to trust in that hope that does not disappoint. We want to give you everything because you, Lord, have truly sacrificed your very best. You came yourself, Jesus, to die on the cross for us. Help us to grow in deepening our faith and our trust in you more. Lord, help us to be calm, to have peace that would pass our understanding, that would guard our hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Help us to grow more and more, Lord, in a way that will bring you glory. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.